Happy pre-4th of July weekend, um, HDC. Hello, Apple Valley. Hello, Hesperia. Hello, Phelan. Hello, Victorville. Um, uh, very excited you guys are with us this weekend. Um, very excited for probably what you've already heard about um, on your campuses with what's going on with camp. Um, very exciting. Uh, we need to get started with what we've got. Um, so we can move on to all the good things God has for our church this week. So wherever you're at, raise a hand. We'll get you notes if you need a Bible. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 this weekend. Um, it has been a while since I've had the opportunity to be with you. And um, it just feels good to be in, like I think, the most godly book of the Bible, 1 Timothy. Um, followed, obviously, only by the second most godly book in the Bible, 2 Timothy. Um, we're going to be in chapter 6. We're going to be talking about possessions, uh, and I'm very excited about that because I am so schizophrenic uh, uh, when it comes to possessions. Like half the time, I feel like I could honestly do without uh, a thing more, um, probably even do it without a lot of the things I already have. And then the other half of the time, I'm really stressed out about all the things I don't have. I don't know, you know, what kind of car my kids are going to wind up needing when they're the age of crashing, driving car, cars. I don't know, uh, you know, how to keep my family cool in the desert heat. And so like, gosh, maybe this is the summer we should just go all in and get a pool. I don't know when uh, my own car will, will cease to work. And, and, and I think that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of polar extremes in the world of Christendom on what we should think about money. And I was reading an article this weekend uh, about this by a guy by the name of Mark DeYoung. And he had just a great combination of some really polar opposite thoughts that are found in Scripture. So as we work our way into the presentation this weekend, listen to all these things because all of these things are true, but they seem to contradict each other. And these are all biblical ideas, okay? So the first thing is this. If you're wise, you'll probably make more money than fools. Now, I know some of you have a boss that you tend to disagree with this statement, but it is a general platitude found in the book of Proverbs and across Scripture as well that if you're wise, you tend to make more money than fools. And you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm down with that. That seems logical. That seems like a Bible thing. Well, what's the flip side? Well, the flip side is this, is if all you want is more money, then you're probably a fool. Because the Bible teaches pretty clearly that there's an awful lot in this world that you shouldn't chase after. And so it's confusing. It's like, okay, so wait a second. If I'm smart, I'm going to wind up with more money. But if I want more money, then I'm stupid. Like, I don't understand what to do, God. I, here's what I love. I love to be smart and have a lot of money. Let's test me with both, Lord. Second thing I would say is that money is a blessing from God to you. And I know that this is one of the ideas that is contested in American church culture. And we'll talk about this in a minute. But there's a lot of places in the scripture that says God blesses his people by giving to them. Okay? But then the scriptures also say it's a much bigger blessing to re-gift whatever God gives you. And I know that re-gifting in our culture is like, why would you do that? And you're always worried that maybe you're going to re-gift someone to someone that knows the person that gave it to you that you didn't want. And so it's, it's like big chart on your like, kitchen counter, like, don't give this to so-and-so because they'll tell Aunt Lois. And then Aunt Lois is going to be hurt that you didn't keep the coasters. But God is proud. God is proud when he gives something to you and you think, you know what, this is, oh man, God, this is such a blessing from you to me. And you know what, God, if you don't mind, I'm going to re-gift this. And as a matter of fact, one of the blessings that our church goes through every single year is the tens of thousands of dollars that you guys gave to get those 700 people off to camp this week. It's a perfect example of, okay, God has given to us, we're going to re-gift it. Is that cool, God? 
I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I just feel like I've got enough and I'm going to give it away. Third thing is it is smart to save your money. This is all over the Bible. It really is. And sometimes it can feel like, ah, it's ungodly to, you know, count my, you know, chickens before they're hatched or it's ungodly to have a savings account. No, it's not. It's a very godly thing to think and plan for your children's children like we talked about last weekend. But it's also stupid to think that your money can save you. And so there's all these tensions as we study money in the scriptures. And it's like, God, just tell me where to land on all this. I just want to know, what am I supposed to think? Am I supposed to just like go all in and embrace riches as your blessing and that's spiritual maturity? Or am I supposed to sell everything, live on the side of the road and be poor? Is godliness found in poverty? And the difficulty is, is I think that God has a mature answer to the question. And I think that that is found in large part in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm very excited to walk us through a few verses this weekend. They're going to tell us, you've got to hold both things in, in tension, okay? You've got to know what you think about riches. You've got to know what you think about poverty. And God wants to be the boss over all of it. So I'm going to start reading 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 for now, all right? Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Oh, time out. Obviously the Bible's already teaching that the right answer is poverty, right? Like you were born naked, you're going to die in an old suit and, and you just need to just be content with what God gives you. It's not the whole answer. Verse 8. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. I don't know. It sure seems like, sure seems like the Bible is now teaching that if you've got a lot of stuff, you're far away from God and you're not godly. And we learn from Albert from the rich young ruler lesson that you rich people can't get into heaven and you shouldn't have stuff because you're not going to have it when you're dead anyway. And don't have gold because that's pavement in heaven, right? Those are all the typical churchy things we hear about having money. And I think that the passage is going to eventually round out the rest of the equation. But let's say it this way. Write this down for this first thought, okay? Make sure what you own doesn't own you. Because I think that's the sort of statement that we can all say, okay, you know what? I get that. I can get on board with what you're saying, Tim. But I don't exactly understand what you mean by that. Well, I think that this kind of catches the balance between all the different passages that talk about God blessing. You know, if you follow me, I'll bless you. Abraham was a rich guy. Um, Solomon was a really rich guy. Job was a really rich guy, and God blessed them. But there are an awful lot of people who were poor that God blessed as well. The woman who had, you know, like the 37 cents that she dropped off in the, the box, and Jesus is like, whoa, guys, did you see her? That's what I'm talking about. Jesus himself said, I'm homeless. I have nowhere to lay my head. And so somewhere along the spectrum, we've got to decide, where does God think about my bank account? Is he proud that I've got a lot or is he embarrassed? Is he proud that I've got nothing or is he embarrassed? Like, where, where do I go with all of these things? And I think the best way for us to start is what 1 Timothy 6 is teaching. It says, make sure what you own doesn't own you. Now, as Paul addresses the idea of money, possessions, riches, and stuff like that, he actually starts off by saying, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Now, it's interesting because I think our, our country loves great gain. It's why we have a lotto and a mega lotto and a super lotto and a super mega lotto and a super statewide cross, crossways lotto and a double down mega hy- hyper lotto. And if you didn't win Monday, you got a chance again to lose again Tuesday in, in our country with the lottery because we love the idea of great gain. This is America, the land of the free and the home of the brave and the Rockefellers and the Bill Gateses of the world. And we love the idea of mucho, the supersized meal at McDonald's. The, the, did you know that the average size of the American home built last year was between three and 4,000 square feet? It was the largest section of new houses built, 22%. Okay, between three and 4,000 square feet. And you know, roll back the clock 20 years ago, the average size of the home in America was between 1,600 and 2,200 square feet. So obviously we like bigger and we like better. And you might be you know, totally shocked about the size of the homes that we're building just last year in America, but the size of the home that I own would have been considered huge 20 years ago. So when Paul says, let me tell you how to get great gain, He's saying, there are two things that I want you to have. I want you to have godliness and contentment. And the rest of the passage is going to go on kind of talking through how to possess godliness and contentment, especially in the world of finances. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. But then he says, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. It's funny to me that the, and I like this phrase, and you're going to have to humor me on this. I'm too proud of what I'm about to say. You're going to roll your eyes and give me a golfer clap, okay? The culmination of all of our cultivation is to give it all away at the end of life. I mean, if you do a great job with 84 years of living and you acquire lots of things, the last thing you're going to stress about is who gets it. And it's funny to me that he says, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing back out of it. So it's a lifetime of acquiring things. And then right at the end of life, the culmination of all my cultivation is to quickly sort it all out to the sort of people that I want it to go to. I've got to get rid of it as quickly as I can. And so he says, you can have great gain. You can't keep any of your stuff anyway. And then he starts talking about possessions. And that's when he starts to use phrases like, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap. And as he uses this kind of language, this is where I get the idea, as I've read 1 Timothy 6 a few times in the last couple of weekends, that Paul is saying, hey, make sure that what you own doesn't own you. Okay, and I've said that a few times and, and I haven't explained myself. Let's talk about something we can own. First of all, I do not own the object I'm going to use as an example. And I'm sorry about that. The only reason I do not own it is because I do not have enough money. If I had enough money, I would also own what I'm about to use as an example, okay? But let's talk about a boat, all right? Let's talk about like a nice, like a ski nautique, like, like a Malibu, like a something, okay? Maybe you're, you know, Bass Pro and you're like, want to get your trout fishing boat. I don't know. I don't know if there's such thing as a trout fishing boat. I'm sorry. I don't know. You got a boat, and you're so excited to own the boat. Let's say you Ramsey'd it, okay? Meaning you bought it with cash. And so you go into Bass Pro, and you buy the boat, and you're so excited because they give you the deed or the title or the pink slip or whatever it is when you own a boat, and it has your name on it. And you're like, that's right, boat, I own you. And then, then you're like, okay, well, I need to get it home. All right, you know what? My boat needs a trailer. And so you got to get a trailer. And then you, you go to hook it upside to, to your camera, and you're like, ah, my trailer needs a truck. All right, all right. Hold on, hold on. Wait right here. Wait right here. I'm going to go get a truck. 
And then you get a truck and then the trailer and the boat and you're so excited. And then you get the boat home and you remember, oh, I'm such a dummy. I have kids. My boat needs insurance. And so you get insurance for your boat and insurance for the trailer because the trailer is going to go on the roads that government owns. And so you can't have trailer on their roads without paying them money. And so you get insurance for the trailer and for the boat. And then like the boat is in your garage and you're so excited. And the kids are like, what are we going to do on it? And you're like, drive it around. And they're like, well, can we do anything? You get to drive. What do we get to do? And you're like, all right, I need an inner tube and a rope and some life jackets and maybe a wakeboard and the cool side wakeboard rack. So I look, you know, good out. And so now all of a sudden your boat has its own toys. It has its own insurance. And then you put the boat out on the water and oh, sweet Lord in heaven. Boy, does it suck down gasoline, but you got it, but you got it. You got it, and you are going to use it, and so, you know, you, you don't let your wife see how much money you put in the tank. You're like, oh, honey, I'll, I'll take care of it at the dock. You just hang with the kids, and I don't want you to see that I'm mortgaging our children's future in the gas tank. And so you fill up the tank, and then the, the, boat, the boat says, ah, I feel better. And then you drive around for 2.3 hours, and the boat says it's thirsty. You can do that again. And then you take it back home. And then you realize, ah, I can't put it in the garage. I've got to put the new truck in the garage. We're going to put it on the side of the house. It's going to get windblown to death in the desert. All right, it needs a cover. And then you park it and you're tired. And then you realize two weekends later, man, we haven't used the boat in a while. And the boat's like out on the side of the house. Feed me, feed me. And so pretty soon the boat that you own owns its own transportation system, its own insurance, its own gas budget, its own toys budget, and its own schedule. And, 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 and again, I am not picking on boat owners. Do you know how much life change Jesus did in boats? A lot, okay? So if you got boats, let the youth pastors at this church borrow them. And it's like, Jesus, Jesus is in the boat with those youth group kids, all right? But do you see what I'm saying? It, Here's what I love about the Bible. It is straightforward and clear. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I am not saying there's a thing wrong with a boat. Jesus spent time on boats and did life change on boats, okay? Let's something I've got. These are all decisions I've made, okay? I got a flat panel TV once upon a time because who wants their TV to be deep and stuff? And then when I got the flat panel TV, I, I realized, man, the signal is terrible. So I had to change my VCR for a Blu-ray because like, why are you sending 240p-i to your TV? And I'm like, I don't know. That is dumb. And so sell me the Blu-ray. And then I put it up and the speakers on my flat panel were flat and so I needed external speakers and then when I needed external speakers they needed a receiver to sort out all the signals of all the different Captain America shield bouncing all over my living room and, and all of a sudden once again the TV that I owned demanded a bunch of other things that's what he's telling Timothy he's saying watch out what you own that it doesn't own you you've got to be the boss see here's the funny thing we get the TV or the boat or whatever it is. You get a new pair of shoes, lady, and all of a sudden, all your old outfits don't look good up against those new shoes, do they? You're laughing. You are laughing because you're like, that's exactly right. You get a new couch. You need new curtains. I mean, this happens in every area of life. It's not just the boat, okay? I'm not talking about... If, if you've got a boat and you feel bad about it, give it to me, okay? <laughs> Paul is saying it's a, <laughs> it's a trap. Be careful that what you own doesn't own you. Because we think 
that when we have enough stuff, we'll finally be content, which is what he started out with. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's like he's like, hey, by the way, I want to teach you what's an amazing thing to have. I want to do the infomercial. I want to do the demonstration at Costco. I want to have the booth set up at Bass Pro. And I want to tell you, before I talk about all the things that can pull you in, I want to say, dude, if you have godliness and contentment, you are wealthy. You are so filled with what God has for you in this life. And so contentment becomes like, okay, well then that seems at odd with what you just taught. Contentment seems in battle with all of these things that, you know what, you're right. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you that if I buy one thing, it demands a bunch of others. But I really don't feel like what I own owns me, Tim. I mean, it's a great little story you told in church, but I really don't feel like the things that I own own me. I mean, I'm the boss of them, and I can prove it. Okay, well, let's work through a little contentment checklist. There's a little bit that you can answer that will let you know Is what you own owning you or not? First of all, are you willing to be obedient to God? Like, to me, and this isn't our topic this weekend, I'm super sorry to bring it up, but to me, when God says, I want you to give to me first and then manage the rest. Okay, that to me is obedience. And that's why it doesn't bother me that I bought a TV because my wife and I have prioritized giving, we're obedient to God, and now, okay, now I'm gonna go chasing after TVs. You know what's dumb about my life? I can answer yes to this first question and still not be content. I can give and then go buy a 46-inch TV and wish I had a 50, and buy a 50 and wish I had a 60. This is not the totality of contentment, okay? So the next question that I would say is, are you generous to others? And I personally think I'm slacking in this area big time. I don't think I'm generous at all. And so personally, I would answer, no, I'm not really generous to others. I help others. Like if you were in front of me and you were, you know, had no shirt on, out of embarrassment, I would give you a shirt, okay? If, if you had kids and you couldn't feed them, I'd give you a meal. But I don't think I'm a generous individual. The next question I would ask, is, are you grateful for what you have? Personally, I go back and forth on this one. Sometimes I am thrilled to high heaven about all the things God has given my life. And this is the thing I spend most of my time praying with my kids about, by the way. Like, what do I pray with my kids about? My boys and I pray through this. We pray what we're grateful about. It is a way to get my heart on board. And the last question, though, is are you okay to let it go? Because these four questions really reflect this first paragraph in 1 Timothy. Are you obedient to God? Are you generous to others? Are you grateful for what you have? And are you okay to let it go? CNNmoney.com just did a little poll, a nationwide poll. It was like eight days ago, actually. It's very recent. And they asked Americans, how much money would it take for you to make for you to think, you know what, I'm good. Like, tap out, I'm content. And the largest answer was seventy-five dollars to $100,000 a year, by far. And then they said, you know, if, if I made that much money, I'd be good. And I think it's interesting because I just wonder if then they hit that, if they say that that's how much money it would take for them to be good. I was reflecting on this recently at a wedding that I was was at. I told my wife for richer or poorer, you know, till death do us part. I had no idea when I was 21 years old how much money I would make, you know, in my mid-30s. I made $18,000, $19,000 a year that first year of marriage, and we made it. And she was a student at the time. 
I make more than that now. And, and if you had told me then that I'd make this much now, I'd tell you, oh my gosh, I'm going to be so rich. If you ask me now if I'm filthy, stinking rich, I'd say no. My kids wake up every day and expect more food. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I don't feel rich today. Even though by definition, you know, 15 years ago, I, I would cry with excitement. Uh, there's another study. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell references it in, in one of his books. Um, it was a Princeton study. And they researched contentment levels of adult Americans and they found that there's this gap between poverty and $75,000 that every five or $8,000 you make helps a lot. It helps with utilities, transportation, housing, and then taking care of a family. These are real costs. And then it's this weirdest thing, and, and I don't know if it's true or not, I'm just saying it's interesting to me that a non-Christian organization says once they get past $75,000, they start to make complicated decisions with that money. It's like, okay, now I have enough to take care of everything, and now I'm going to start owning things that own me, is what I think, personally. Because the Princeton study says that happiness starts to decrease after $75,000 a year. Now again, Lord, test me on that. I, I'm saying. <laughs> but isn't it interesting that Princeton is researching things that I think God is teaching all along. And he's saying, don't own things, they're going to wind up owning you. Ten years ago, my wife was pregnant with our second born. We were living in San Diego. Um, and you guys might remember ten years ago, a lot of the south area of our desert was um, on fire. Uh, but San Diego, I'm telling you guys, the whole city was on fire. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever been through in my life. It was like a light snowfall for days and days and days of ash. And um, the fire, one of the fires that all joined together in a massive horseshoe kept getting closer and closer to um, the condo complex where we lived till firefighters came through and evacuated our, our condo complex. They said that we needed to be out. Probably they thought it was smart within two to four hours or something like that. And we looked at each other and we're like, okay, what are we going to do? And so we loaded up our computer because it had all the pictures of our firstborn son on it. We loaded up clothes. And we didn't know what else to load. It was the weirdest thing, sitting in my minivan with my pregnant wife and my baby, thinking, I guess this is it. I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what else I need. I don't really need my Letterman's jacket from high school. I, I, I don't really need the silver. I mean, if we're not going to have a dining room, we might as well not bring the plates, you know? Like, <laughs> that seems silly. And I cannot describe to you the freedom it was pulling out of our condo with everything we felt we needed to get by. And it all fit in a minivan and there was room to spare. That was a neat moment for me to help understand this passage that God wants me to have contentment and great gain. It's just probably defined differently than maybe I would. Now, we've been talking about the things that we don't have and we don't need. Um, we're talked about the culmination of all of our cultivation is to let it go anyway. And so really, that's the neat truth that the passage is going to move to. Write this down. Make sure you're the one who is generous. Make sure that you are the one who is generous. Now that doesn't even make sense. You might be thinking like, you mean as opposed to my wife or as opposed to my kids or as opposed to my culture? No, I mean as opposed to your stuff. I'm going to read uh, again, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, 
but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That is why I love the Bible. First paragraph, it's almost like, dude, you're so dumb if you keep buying stuff because the stuff is going to own you and you're going to be backwards, you're going to be upside down, you're going to be in debt. You're crazy, don't own stuff. Easy to think, okay, God, I get it. You don't think having things is good. It's embarrassing to you when I've got stuff. It's embarrassing to the church when I'm rich. You got it. Somehow I will be poor. And then he goes on and says, okay, now here's how I want you to deal with the people who are rich. I want you to tell them to make sure they're generous, that they're sharing things. Make sure to tell them to not trust in their bank account more than their Bible. Make sure to tell them that if they're going to like really lay up treasure, make sure they're laying it up for the life to come. It's like, well, wait a second. I thought you just got done talking about how dumb it was to have things and how I shouldn't have them. No, that's not what I said. I said, make sure you're not dumb about the things you have. And if you fall into a trap, get out of it. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. A new TV, great thing. Boat, great thing. But if you think it's going to make you happy, you're crazy. So now let's talk on how to handle things. This is the fun part. Um, <laughs> okay, let's define rich. Okay, Because again, I don't feel rich and that's probably dumb. Let's define rich. The Greek word is just abundant. It's like excess, okay? So it'd be easy to just say rich means having everything I need and some extra stuff. If that's the definition, I am rich. But I know you're like, okay, that's true, but I don't feel rich. Hmm, oh, I hate doing this, but it's a great example. I don't know if you've been following the news. I don't know if you've heard something Hillary Clinton said recently about being broke. But um, the, the national media has paid a lot of attention lately to some comments that Hillary Clinton has made um, about how, how are you, as a possible presidential candidate, you are so filthy, stinking rich, how are you going to connect with the everyday people who are going to be doing the voting? And her answer was, oh my gosh, life has been so hard for us. We were so broke for such a long time. And broke to her doesn't mean broke to me. It broke to her is a different sort of thing. When, when she can make $200,000 during a speech, I'm like, I'd like to be broke also, you know? <laughs> when, when their net worth is measured in the tens of millions, ah, I don't think you're broke. I think we need to use a different word for that, actually, Mrs. Clinton. Now, I'm only feeling bad about it because it's politically charged, but it's a fantastic illustration for us to use. I'm annoyed by what she said. I'm sorry, I know I'm not supposed to say that. But I am. She's not feeling rich compared to who they hang out with. Compared to who they hang out with, they got billions. So millions is... Psh. You probably don't think you're rich based on who maybe in your mind is. Huh? Like the people that you, know, you grew up with in high school and he's got his own business says... And you don't. And so he's rich. The people that you live next door to. And you know they've got their own you know, medical practice. And you've got your own medical bills. And uh, they're rich. I don't know what to do with this guys. Other than the fact that God says. Let me tell you how to manage the stuff you've got. If you've got everything you need. And you've got extra. You're rich. Because I would hate. Here's what I would hate. 
at the end of life for me to go to God and say, God, why did you leave me so broke the whole time? And for him to be as annoyed about my comments as I am about Hillary. That's what I don't want. I don't want him to look at me and say, Tim, are you kidding me? You have enough for two vehicles in your household. And you're the one who goes back and forth to work. Wendy and the kids, they, they, they could, or you could bicycle to work, Tim. How about that? Maybe lose some weight, okay? Tim, you have a house for your car. You call it a garage. Oh, by the way, you fill every little square space around your car with all the extra stuff you have, don't you? Tim, do you have, um, like, bonus TVs? <laughs> no. Do you sometimes watch TV on your phone because everyone else is watching TV on the TVs? <laughs> That's not it, Lord. That's different. <laughs> I'm researching. <laughs> Tim, do you have everything you need? Yes. And do you have some extra? Yep. Okay, then cool. That's all I need because here's what I want to tell you. I, I want to let you know in this present world to not be arrogant, not to put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Oh, wait a second. So I don't have to be embarrassed about the fact that I've got extra stuff. God, it's coming from you. Okay, good. I'm going to hope in you. I'm going to be content. And then he's going to say, command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share Hmm, okay. So now, God, what you're saying is what I want you to focus in on is being rich with good deeds. I want you to do good. I want you to do right, Tim. I want you to take some of that extra and give it to some other folks. I want you to take some of that extra and meet some other needs. You guys know about me and cars, okay? I'm sorry about that. I think they are all metal miracles, all right? And I will admit, some are more miraculous than others. And it, it's one of the things in my walk with God that I am aware too often of the car I could afford if I wasn't giving. And that's dumb. Because God has, literally, I was 35 years old before I spent a dime on a car for myself. People in life kept giving me old cars. Now, on one hand, they were old, but on the other hand, they kept giving them to me. And God was like saying, Tim, I know this is your fixation. I'm gonna keep meeting the need, Tim. I want you to focus on meeting the needs of others. And it's like, oh, okay. And so there's this scale where I'm right now in my life and money, I'm willing to be obedient. And I like keep leaning towards generous and then leaning back. And I'll lean towards generous and then get nervous and lean back. And then I'll want to get generous and I'll justify that they're making dumb choices and that's why I'm not going to help. And then I'll lean back in and I'll worry about my kids and that's why I'm not going to help. And then I'll lean back over and then I'll worry about, wait a second, but all, what about all those verses in Proverbs that say to save all your money, right? No, no, no. It doesn't say save all your money. It says save some money. Plan for the future. But I'm saying command those who are rich in this present world. Don't be arrogant. Hope in God. Okay, I'm there. I'll tell you right now. I'm there. It's the next verse that I struggle with. Command them to do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves in heaven. I don't think I'm the only one in the church that struggles with what I do with my stuff. And there's a remarkable opportunity for you guys this summer. But before I tell you about that, I want to share with you guys three quick stories of three other folks in our church. They shared them with us. And we've got a video prep for you guys. And as they walk through, what do I do with my stuff? It feels like it's owning me. I need to get back on top of it. Well, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let them talk. Roll the video. I was just real good head of my household. I got us in debt, oh, about up to here. 
I was deployed a lot. Um, I was in the Navy, and I would come back, and this money that was mine became family money. We were living to the end of the month, every month, and it was just, it was frustrating because we never had any extra money. We had been attending our small group, and we heard some of their stories. We borrowed their starter kit, and I read through the books of the FPU books in like two days. I read through like books. We watched the DVDs. We got on a budget like within that first paycheck, and uh, we were sick of our old ways. It kind of reminds me of the Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck uh, cartoon where they're down in a mine and Daffy Duck finds all these coins and he goes, it's mine, 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 mine. We're like two and a half months into this journey and, and we've stopped charging. We haven't charged a dime since we started. Um, we have a thousand in our savings and we're, we're building on our debt snowball and it's got us thinking like, way down the line. God showed us that we could get by without all that stuff. And we didn't have to worry about keeping up with the next door neighbors. And that was, that was really, really comforting. At HDC, we love a program called Financial Peace University. And the reason we love it is because it teaches be obedient to God, be the boss of your stuff, and eventually, why don't you wind up being generous? And on all of our campuses at Hesperia, Phelan, Apple Valley, and Victorville, we're beginning the registration process for this next class right now. It's nine weeks teaching you, be the boss of your stuff. It's nine weeks on, hey, be obedient to God. And it's nine weeks on the carrot, the goal of, can you imagine what your life could be like if one day you wind up being a generous individual? I think it was four years ago, my wife and I took the course when it was first offered on the Victorville campus over in the gymnasium. Our small group went through it, and I cannot tell you what a difference it has made in our life. We've got years to go. I've got lots of room to grow still. But for me, pursuing the goals in 1 Timothy chapter 6 are difficult because it doesn't just say, get everything you can because that's godliness, and it doesn't say, be poor because that's godliness. It says, whatever situation you're in, be content, honor God, and be generous to others. And that's what this class offers, is an opportunity. And so when you leave our services today, on any campus, I want you to really consider as a couple, is this something we need to do? Because we're called to do something this summer. As a matter of fact, it's the last verse and it's the last thing I'll have you write down If you could write this down and we'll wrap up. Make sure that you're changing the world more than your stuff. Make sure that you're changing the world more than your stuff. The very last verse in our passage says, In this way people will lay up for themselves treasure, a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, we exist as a church to honor Jesus and his gospel. Why in the world will we talk about money, meaning, and motivation during a summer? Well, because I think a lot of us feel a little bit owned by our stuff. Your mortgage kind of feels like it chokes you out every month. Maybe it is some of the things you own. And I think sometimes it's an opportunity for us to be reminded, you know what, God, it's not just with my character and it's not just with my mouth, but it's everything you've put into my life is a tool for you. And the reason we're desperate for you to feel like you're on track with what God wants for your possessions is we want you on track with God's purpose. You are a laser in this world. Guys, our culture is so confused. 
and deeply opinionated and you shed light into your oikos. But if you keep using your light to illuminate the signs of Visa and MasterCard, then you're going to keep having your resources, your attention, your energy, your emotions sucked right out of you. I don't know what to say other than the fact that finances cause so many stinking fights, so much worry, so much frustration, and so much distraction. So what we want is what God wants. Be the boss of your stuff, be obedient to him, be generous. Because there's a world out there that you need to get to change in. And if the devil has got you distracted by things, he wins. We don't want him to win. We're better than that. You're better than that. Maybe the step for you to take this weekend is to sign up for Financial Peace University so you can get a handle on all this stuff. If you've taken it and there's a little bit of creep happening back in your life, get back on top. Be the boss. But God, may through all things, may he be honored through what we do with our stuff. Let's pray. Father, it is really easy for me to fall back into having my things on me. And God, I completely think if I had enough stuff, then I'd finally be a generous person. But God, I'm crazy if I think a big house will finally make me hospitable. I'm crazy to think a bank account's going to make me a giver. God, I am what I am today. And I need to be honest before you and our church. Lord, I pray that you would help us take control of what we own. God, I pray that you'd help us be obedient to what you want. And God, I very humbly ask you to make us generous people that are willing to change the world through what you give us. So Father, lift up your son Jesus through everything we've got. In the name of your son we pray, amen.